0: To the pulpit. Uh, it's a longer trip every week. You know that? Some of you don't know that. You just have to take my word for it. But uh, some of you probably know it all too well. Amen. Um, good to be here this morning. I love that last song. Greatest is faithfulness to us. All kinds of things we have to go through in life, but the one thing we can hold on to is God is faithful. He is always faithful. Um, Something whenever you're 10 years old and you say God is faithful, it means one thing. But when you get older and you're able to say God is faithful and he's never failed me, you've got history to talk about. Amen? You've got some experience. And I'm so thankful I'm able to stand here before you this morning and tell you God is faithful. He's never failed me, not once. I've been in some tough times when I wasn't sure that there was a way out. Uh, But God has always um, not only given me a way out, but he usually is very unique. He surprises me with how he fixes my problems. Amen. I'm so thankful he shows up in ways that um, you would not imagine. She quoted that passage from psalm and the last part of that passage it says he prays that that god will make his path straight before him Um, that doesn't sound like life to us Um, life is like this how many of you know that sometimes life leads you in directions like this but that's not what he's praying for he's not praying that his his path through life will be straight he says i want my path before you to be straight and there is this thought, I think, that, that the writer there is talking about is, Lord, I don't want my pathway to be confusing to me. So, Lord, as you direct my path, make it straight before you so that I can understand, I can see where you want me to go. How many of you could say, that's something I'd sure like for the Lord to do for me? There are lots of times in life when we just say, God, I, I just don't understand. I don't know what's happening here. Uh, maybe you sense that a little bit in the process you're going through as you look for a pastor but God is faithful he is faithful well if you have your Bibles this morning I'm going to be uh, coming to you from Ephesians chapter 1 I've got to say this is one of my favorite passages in all the Bible you'll hear me say things like that often but let me tell you this is one of my favorite passages in all of scripture Uh, Before we begin, though, um, I do want to welcome you here. I'm thankful that you're here this morning, and I hope and pray that you do not put off waiting until another pastor comes to fill the pews. You might as well go ahead and get started because it needs to be a habit that the new pastor sees you already have when he comes. Amen? Amen. So let's be um, inviting those, uh, your family, friends, welcoming them here and being excited about what God is doing even now amen Um, please uh, think about this God's plan for you doesn't begin when a new pastor comes God's plan for you began this morning when you got up and every morning it says he says about himself my mercies are brand new today I've got great things in store for you today don't wait Don't expect them to start some time off in the future. Let's begin to believe God for today. Today, God has something for us. Let's let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that we can count on your promises being true. You have said, as someone said in Sunday school this morning, where two or three are gathered in your name, you're there in their midst. And Lord, we claim that promise this morning. We would not want to start without asking you to be here with us this morning. Father, your spirit, we yearn for your presence. And we just ask, Father, as we begin here, that you'd help us by opening up your word to our understanding, that our hearts would be open and receptive, and that, Father, we would have a spirit of obedience even this morning as we hear you speak to us. Lord, we don't want to postpone obedience. We pray that you'd help us today to have the strength, your ability to obey you in all that you ask of us. And we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 1, I want to begin reading with verse 15. <clears throat> um, before I do that, I want to start just to call your attention quickly to verse one because it's, a, it's an interesting greeting. <clears throat> Paul says, He's an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, this morning, let me begin by saying, I have words for the saints. Of Greenwood Hills. Ain't nobody going to say amen to that? Because where God has gathered his people. They aren't a bunch of hypocrites. As the world would have you believe. They're not a bunch of 'er ne'er-do-wells. They should be described not only. By him, but by you as the saints gathered at Greenwood Hills. If I look out here this morning, I want you to know as I meet contact with you, what I'm seeing is the saints of God. And you say, Well, Pastor Mark, you don't understand what my life is like. No, I may not, but he does. And he's willing to call you saints if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You've begun a progress. You may not have, as Paul said, attained it already. But God looks at you as a saint. Do you realize that when you say yes to Jesus and the blood of Jesus covers you, he doesn't see you as you are anymore. He sees you as Jesus. He looks at you and he sees his son when he looks at you. Now, think about that. Well, we look at ourselves and we say, that can't possibly be true. I know God knows all things. Surely he knows that I'm not like Jesus. Yeah, he knows that. But he has a plan he has instituted for all of time's sake. And he says, if, I, if you've been covered by the blood of Jesus, I'm going to look at you and call you one of my saints. A child of God. A brother or a sister. And that's the way we ought to look at each other. Amen? Boy, that makes those board meetings go a lot smoother, doesn't it? Come on, amen. Yeah, you might have disagreements over how you think things should go, but you're seeking the will of the Father. And there should be this consensus after a while. You know, I feel like God's leading in this way. And so we want to follow. Back to the sermon, though. Um, Verse 15, Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. By the way, we, we begin there, but Paul says... That he's heard a couple of things about the church there at Ephesus. He's heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's heard about their love for all the saints. You know, saints have disagreement. You get in different denominations. You've got the Calvinist over here and you've got the Wesleyan Armenians over here. And they go, oh, y'all are, y'all are messed up. We we're talking about in church this morning, uh, or in Sunday school, we mentioned about uh, Baptist. They don't think anybody's going to heaven, but Baptists and Wesleyans don't think anybody's going to heaven, but Wesleyans. And I think we're all going to be surprised when we get to heaven. There'll be a lot of people there that you didn't you didn't know they knew Jesus like you know Jesus. But uh, but God has a plan, and He's not interested in our petty differences. Amen. Um, the other thing I think you may hear me say this pretty often, one thing we're going to be surprised about when we get to heaven, is how wrong we were. Amen. You know, you got, you got ideas about how things ought to be. You don't to get to heaven and God's going to let you see how things are. You go, woo! that didn't, I didn't see that one coming. There's a lot about things that, um, that God says we're going to learn about. But God, but Paul says, because I have heard of your faith and I've seen the love you have toward all the saints, I don't cease in giving thanks for you, and I mention you when I pray. I pray for you. When I, when, I, when I go before the Lord, I bring you up to him. And I want you to hear what he prays for, because this is what just I just love this prayer. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He wrought, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principalities and power and might and dominion in every name that is named not only in this world but also in that which does come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him ...that filleth all in all. What a prayer. What a prayer. So in this passage, Paul tells the church... ...that since he's heard of their faith... ...and the attending evidence of that faith... ...their love for all the saints... ...he's continued to pray for them. And he prayed that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, the first thing that we need to think about when we're looking at this passage is we need to recognize that Paul is giving the members of the church at Ephesus the benefit of the doubt. What do you mean, Pastor Mark? Well, he's saying, I know all of you aren't going to be the ones that I'm talking to, but I'm going to include all of you. Because in any church, you're going to have some folks who really aren't a part of the church. Now, hear me, please. I'm not going to de-Christianize anybody. I don't need to. Each person has to decide whether they do that for themselves. But the only way you become a Christian is that you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Savior. Not only do you know what he did, not only do you know some things about Jesus, not only do you agree that he lived, that he's a historical fact, a a figure in history. It has to be more than that. You have to to believe that that the Father sent his Son to die and pay a sacrifice for those who had no hope. And you have to count yourself a part of those who had no hope. And accept the fact that Jesus came doing the will of the Father so that I could have the benefit of what he did. That when Jesus died, he died not for someone else. Certainly he did that. But if you're to become a Christian, you must believe that he died for me. Each of you must decide that is true for yourself. If you don't have that beginning, you don't have a beginning. You may have come to church for 40 years. You may have assimilated into the body and people believe that you are a Christian. But if you've not made that decision, by definition, you cannot call yourself a Christian. You may be a good person. You may be a moral person. You may show lots of love and kindness to everyone, but that's not how you get to heaven. That's not how you become a saint. You become a saint firstly by trusting in the work, the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it becomes personal. He did it for me. He died for me. He rose from the dead for me. That has to be very personal. I'm certain that everybody who was in the church at Ephesus considered a part of it. Paul is giving them the benefit of the doubt. But there are probably some who did not hear that and took it to heart. But what does Paul say? Paul says that you have, everyone has knowledge of Jesus Christ. You have knowledge of the Father. When we, uh, when we bring our children to church, um, I, I may have mentioned this, the first Sunday that I was out of the hospital and my mom was able to go anywhere, her and dad took me to Hayworth Wesleyan Church. It was their church. They'd been saved about a year before I was conceived. They didn't want any children, didn't think they wanted any children, but in the same revival service the mom and dad both got saved. They didn't even know they got saved. One went one way around the altar, the other went this way. My mom, my grandmother was sitting between them. She would got them there because she kept after them. They were both drinkers, and smokers, and partiers. But grandma kept praying for them. Amen. And at that revival service, dad went this way and mom went that way. Didn't know they were both at the altar and they got... Both of them got gloriously saved. The first, just right after that, mom and dad said, well, we need to have children. (laughs) Now we know. Well, now we know why we need to have children. So they started having babies. I was number one. And they took me to Hayworth. Well, I was just like every kid goes to church. I learned Bible stories. That's a good thing. Uh, children's directors, let me tell you, there's lots of ways that you might try to entertain the children, but if you aren't teaching them the stories of the Bible, you aren't doing your job. Amen. Come on, church. Amen. Now, I don't want to. I'm not trying to make any anybody upset, but listen, I want to tell you something. Children need to learn the Bible stories. There's a foundation in lives that begin because they hear the stories. They don't understand them yet. But they're acquiring knowledge. They're beginning to know things from stories that go into their little minds. And God, He's responsible for what happens once those stories are in little minds. Amen? They won't understand them. But you have to be responsible and help them to accumulate knowledge. They begin to know things about God. And they know things about Jesus. But they don't know him yet. There are some of you this morning that may have accumulated knowledge over the years. But you'd have to say this morning that you know about him. But you don't know him. I knew lots of things about my wife before I married her. But, oh, I've gotten to know her since then. Amen? You been there? Isn't there a difference knowing about somebody and knowing them? That's true for your relationship with the Lord, too. But Paul here is talking. There's a matter of fact, if you look over in Ephesians chapter 3, just real quickly, look at verse 19. Uh, Paul here is another prayer, and he says um, that uh, in verse 18, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. That's a different word, knowledge, there. That's the Greek word gnosis, and it means a passing knowledge, a surfacey kind of knowledge. It's the kind of knowledge that we teach our children. We give them the stories, and they they gain a knowledge. But it's a knowledge without understanding. They don't really understand where the stories are taking them. They just know the stories. That's one kind of knowledge. But in in Ephesians chapter 1, it's a different word. It's epignosis. And it means a fuller, completer kind of knowledge. It's a knowledge gained by experiencing by living with knowledge and it growing in you there's a an extending knowledge this Paul is talking here to people who have an experiential knowledge with God and it's interesting to note that when Paul is saying this he's talking to people that already know God in a personal way but what is he praying for them is he commending them for their knowledge? He's saying, "Boy, now that you've got this knowledge, you've arrived, you're set. You don't have to worry about, it. no, he says this, and what I'm praying for you is that you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge that you have of Him. You see, you're experiencing the life of Christ only takes you so far. How many of you know that God is so big that we can't begin to comprehend Him? You know, you're in your relationship with God, you could live. When you go to heaven and you're able to see Him, the Lord Jesus in His glorious, resurrected self, full of the glory of the Father, when you're able to live with Him through all of eternity. You still won't comprehend him. Because you can't comprehend infinity. When we talk about omnipotent, all-powerful God, we can't even begin to comprehend what that means. Omniscient, all-knowing God. How do you? Anybody here know everything? Anybody here think that's attainable? In your finite humanness, no. So Paul is praying that in your knowledge, in your experiential knowledge, you've become followers of Christ and you have come to know Him in His relationship with you as Savior. And you have even made the decision that He's the Lord of your life. My prayer for you is that in that knowledge, you will have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Boy, I get blessed thinking about that, I'll tell you. That God would would send His Holy Spirit into my life so that I'm not left to try and figure it out by myself. I'm too finite. I haven't got any place to even begin with that. But God says He'll give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge. And He will help me to see what it means. Do you know that the blessings of God are wonderful in and of themselves but they are ever so much more wonderful when you know why he blesses you. Amen. Oh praise the Lord. God doesn't just bless you, he has a purpose for blessing you. His desire is that you become so much more than you can be on your own. If you're the best student that ever lived, you will only go so far, but God says, I will take you and I will fill you with my presence and my spirit and you will become more than you could ever be. Your understanding will be... Well, look at what he says. Why does he want you to... Why does Paul pray for this? Look at the next verse. The, that you'll have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes... <laughs> The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Have you ever wanted life to make sense for you? You ever come to a place in life where it just it just seems like nothing makes any sense anymore? Why why is this happening? Oh, poor pitiful me. Paul says, "I want you to understand. I want you to have." understanding that you're suddenly the lights go on behind your eyes and you comprehend what it is that God's wanting to do in your life you know one of the problems I mentioned this I think last week is that we we have such a hard time connecting the dots in our life something happens to us and it doesn't make any sense and we we can't begin to comprehend what's going on why would you heard anybody say this why would God let this happen to me? There's never going to be anything that happens in your life that God's caught by surprise by. Amen. The truth is that when something happens to you, even something you wouldn't choose for yourself, something that's harmful, hateful, it really hurts, that when that happens, God has a purpose. You know about a, a pearl? A pearl nothing more than a piece of grit and a muscle. Amen? Something an irritant. That's what it is. It's an irritant. The clam has to figure out how to deal with it. So what does he do? He keeps coating it up. Pretty soon you got this beautiful pearl. How does it begin? It's an irritation. It's a problem. What's God how, what, where is God trying to make pearls in your life? Because what you'll begin to understand is that when something happens to you, you don't get upset about it start looking for why what's God doing you know God never does anything in my life but he has a plan so I'm not looking at what the problem is I'm looking at where it's going to take me amen man we've had a hard time here at Greenwood Hills we just had one big problem after another one Boy, it's time to get excited (laughs) amen my goodness, look at all the problems we've dealt with. God's got something big in store for us. Amen? If you've got that attitude, you'll begin to look for the purpose and you'll begin to see things happen. God wants good things even when you have irritations in your life. He wants you to understand there's purpose there. Sometimes God's people quit before they ever find out what the reason was. That's the reason it's so important to have patience. Remember last week we talked about that process? Tribulation. Bad things are happening. I'll have patience because I know God is faithful, so I'm going to wait. Who He is faithful. I've got experience now. And out of that experience comes hope for the future. Tribulation, patience, I'm waiting. Experience, God is faithful. Hope for the future. That means that every time it happens, you're looking forward. Not backwards, because God has a purpose. What's God doing in your life? Do you want to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that the eyes of your understanding are enlightened? Because Paul says that when the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, you will come to know. I like that, don't you? How many of you would like to know? Now, we're not talking about knowledge. We're talking about when you understand something, you know that there's something purposeful in God's plan. And Paul says there are three things I want to just bring to your attention. If you look there in your your scripture, you see that he says, "May, may know what is the hope of his calling. What is he talking about there? Well, you know, some of you think God's calling on your life is pew sitter. Hey Amen. come on. What's God's call on my life? Well, he just wants me to hunker down here. And, yeah, I'm waiting. We'll see what happens. I don't find that in scripture anywhere. My Bible says that God has a purpose for every one of us. To the elect according to his purpose. What's God's calling in your life? Do you know what it is? Because if you don't know what it is, I'm pretty sure you are not there yet. You're You're not witnessing his call on your life. That's the reason Paul says this. When you understand what God wants to do and... You pray for a spirit of revelation and wisdom in the knowledge of who He is. And then your understanding goes on. What happens is you begin to see His call on your life. You will not get there any other way. There's a a picture that's painted in Scripture uh, Jesus talks about. He says that you're not supposed to cast your pearls before whom? Now, that sounds odd, doesn't it? Who's going to throw pearls? pigs, pearls, right? But there's a real good truth there. What makes you think that the best things that God has for you, He would give you if you don't have any appreciation for them? If you don't see their worth, if you don't see where they can take you in life, why would God entrust them to you? Because what would happen when He entrusted them to you and you had no Appreciation for them, you'd be just like a pig. You'd tromp them in the mire, in the mud. So you have a real need to know the hope of his calling. What has he called you to be? Are you excited about that? Do you know what my calling is? It's not really a pastor. My calling is teacher. I know that. I remember very clearly when God called me. It was in the parking lot in a place where I worked. What is your calling? Do you know when God called you and what he called you to do and to be in life? Do you have a purpose for your life? Or are you just kind of meandering through life? You know how that feels, don't you? You know, in the dark nights when you're laying there in bed and you're trying to go to sleep, but this thought keeps revolving, why am I here? Why am I here? When things don't go right in life and, and you you're meet with failure again and again, your dreams, the things that you think are important just aren't working out for you. Do you ever have that question? What's my purpose? Why am I here? God says, I want you to know the hope of your calling. That's, to me, just knowing that that's real, that that it's there, is so encouraging. God hasn't left me out here in the hinterlands of desolation. Instead, there's a calling on my life. Now, Lord, what is it? I want to know. But that's not all. He says, not only the the hope of his calling, but what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints is. My father, when he passed away, he left me his home. And there was a will that specified the home was to go to me. I inherited the home. There's worth there. It's worth something. I am, I've been enriched by it. Amen? That It's enriched me. I was there, but... Dad left me his home, now I'm more. Amen? What is your inheritance? Did you know that there's an inheritance that you inherited because Jesus is your Savior? You are a co-inheritor with Jesus in the Father's kingdom. You're a brother or a sister to Jesus. You're a co-inheritor. Can you imagine the riches that are there? Because you're an inheritor. But here's the problem. We go through life thinking we're paupers. Amen? Spiritually, we think we're paupers. We're always hang-dogging around the Lord saying, Well, Lord, I know I'm no count. I know that I'm not worth anything. No, you're not, but he has made you a co-inheritor with Jesus Christ, and you have an inheritance, and you need to accept who you are in Christ Jesus so you can work in the kingdom with authority. You know, when, um, when the rich young ruler coming, when the, rich, when the prodigal son comes back to his father, what's the first thing the father does? He kisses him, and then he puts what on his finger. Why does he do that? It's a signet ring. When he put that ring on him, he is suddenly his father's son again. And everything, this is what the father says, everything that is mine is yours. Jesus put that ring on your hand. Amen? Do you understand who you are in Christ Jesus? You've inherited from the Lord all that the Son has. Man, that's good news. But that's not all. Listen to this. Number three. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward? To usward. To you and me. And what kind of power is it? According to the working of of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principle. Do you see the power here? He doesn't just say that I want you to know that that power exists. He says, I want you to know that God wants to use His power in you. Because Paul says that power God uses to usward. <laughs> what could God do if we understood who we were in Christ Jesus? How do we live our lives? So many Christians, it seems to me like they live their life in quiet desperation, wondering why nothing seems to make sense, and their life is so devoid of power, and they have no witness of God's manifestation in their life, and it's all because we don't believe what he said. Do you understand that these are promises? Paul's not asking God that he would do something that's not possible. He's asking God to do exactly what God wants. He's praying God's will for us. Our problem is not that God doesn't answer prayer. Our problem is that we don't have faith that his promises are true. And please understand, I'm not saying that if you believe this, that you can, you can actually go out here and say, uh, Pilot Mountain. Go over and be put in the sea. But I'm saying that God can move the mountains in your life. The things that keep you from being what you, what he wants you to be. He can move those mountains. If you believe he will. If you believe that God is who he says he is to you. Now this is all, this sermon all has to do with this. And a, just a short little s- s- segue to ending. God has a special plan for your life, but it all hinges on what you want. You choose whether you want what He has for you or you want to just go on believing the way you believe. You just go on living the life the way you've been living it instead of really chasing maybe you've got all your stories and you're content with them you know you know about Lazarus and you know about Daniel in the lions den you've got all these little stories that you you have stored away in there and that's your biblical knowledge and you're happy with that but you don't have any power in your life and you don't understand why those stories have meaning and you're content with that if that's true then I want to tell you something you're done you're not going to grow But if your desire is that you want to know what God has for you and you chase after him, his spirit will make sure that you're rewarded by his enabling you to be ever so much more than you are this morning. And it's up to you. Have young people here who need to hear that God has amazing things in store for them if they'll just believe him and trust him. If they'll choose him. When I was their age... It wasn't long before I left the church because the church, I mentioned this in Sunday school, the church didn't want to answer questions. They didn't even like questions. You don't either. Can you explain to them how a loving God told the children of Israel to go into the promised land and destroy all the nations, kill the women, the children? Can you answer that question? I hear that all the time from people. How can a loving God make me like I am, and then for people to say that God doesn't love homosexuals? Can you answer that question? Or is that one too hard for you? Come on. When you can't answer those questions because you haven't chased after God and you don't know Him enough and well enough to be able to answer those questions, it says something to them. And they are looking, they're listening. If you don't have answers which you should remember what Paul said or, or the writer of Hebrews says when the time comes that you should be eating strong meat you have need of baby's milk because you're un you haven't been exercised in God's word you haven't done the exercising you need to God help us as a church they should never be able to come to us with questions that are too hard for the one we serve he has the power and he wants to display his power through us, we should have answers. We ought to be, if they'll take the time, we ought to be able to walk them through scriptures and help them to see what God was doing when he asked them to destroy all the peoples of, that were inhabiting that land. There's a good reason why that happened. There's a good reason why God still loves homosexuals, but it's still a wrong lifestyle. They need to understand it. We shouldn't be afraid to talk to them. we have to have more than a passing knowledge of Jesus. Amen? Don't you be satisfied with where you are. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. Don't you settle down and hunker down in your place and think that God's through. He doesn't have any more for you. That's a prideful position, and God help you if that's true for you. I'm with Paul. I haven't attained yet. But this one thing I do, I press forward. I press to the mark. I want to know Him in the fullness of who He is and the power of His resurrection, even to the point of I want to enter into the suffering that He suffered so that I might attain, maybe even attain unto the resurrection. That's what Paul's attitude is. Do you have that attitude? Amen. Well, I'm through. God bless you.
1: stand. We're going to finish with a song this morning.
2: Are you past the point of weary? Is your burden weighing heavy? Is it all too much to carry? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Do you feel that empty fear? Cause shame's it all esteem And you're desperate for some healing Let me tell you about my Jesus He makes a way where there ain't no way he Rises up from an empty grave Ain't no sinner that He can't save
1: Let me tell you about my Jesus strong and his grace is free. The good news is I... That-
2: All the past to disappear. Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and all the wrong turns that you would. Go and undo if you could. You could work it out for your good. Let me tell you about my Jesus. He makes a way when there ain't no way.
1: He rises up from the hymn my Jesus. His love is strong and His grace is free. The good news is I know that He can do for you.
2: Guilty? Who would care that much about me? Let me tell you about my Jesus. Oh, He makes a way where there ain't no way.
1: Rises up from an empty grave. Ain't no sinner that He can't save. Let me tell you about my Jesus. His love is strong and His grace is free. The good news is I know that He can do for you what he's done for me let me tell you about my jesus and let my jesus change your life